welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Nerd Party News, the show on the Nerd Party where we talk about the news. I'm Mike. I'm Lance. And we don't have a lot of news this week because Hollywood's basically shut down, right? I mean, the holidays. Everyone's... Yeah, everybody's on their break. Yeah, so we anticipate people being back next week. But there were a couple of things. There was one you know, really big piece, which we'll discuss. But mm-hmm. we figured we would um, kick things off with our lists of top 10 whatever we want. Top 10 lists are meaningless these days because what is a movie what is who knows (laughs) you know so so we uh we're just improvising yeah there there are no rules so so what did you do for your top 10 list what was the uh the approach that you took uh basically it's the top 10 things that i saw last year or the top 10 things that I immersed myself in and things that I really enjoyed. So it's kind of a mixture of a lot of different things is, is mine. Because again, like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot out there and with the pandemic and things closed and people's schedules are all kind of whatever they were, right? These are the things that I really enjoyed, the things that I thought about and the things that uh, kind of captivated me throughout the year as far as what I watched. Okay. <laughs> so again, my 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 list is a little is a, a little bit different because it covers you know movies and TV. Yeah. So number ten for me is the Bachelorette. Now some of you are probably thinking like the Bachelorette. Now <laughs> I've only seen one season of it, and that was when they had the first uh, Black Bachelorette, uh, Rachel Lindsay, like a few years ago. Right, that was the first one I saw. But then I my interest peaked on this one this season because of what's going to happen in 2021 with the first uh, black male bachelor. Uh-huh. And so that just made me start watching this season. And this season there were two bachelorettes and I see why people get so into the show and why like bachelor nation is a thing. <laughs> this is, it is ridiculous, but it's incredibly entertaining. Um, and I did not think that I would enjoy it as much as I have, but I have. Yeah. I don't think that I've seen any, Bachelor. There was one. There was like right when it started. There was like a Bachelor ripoff show. I forget mm-hmm. what it was, but I watched that one because I, I forget it. The, the premise was like a high school reunion thing or something like that, and the high school okay. that they used was the high school that I went to. So, oh, okay. You know, I, but I, I could definitely see how it is addictive, and I mean, certainly like at work in my office. You know, whenever there's a new episode, you know, the next morning everyone's like. Did you guys see The Bachelor yesterday? Oh yeah. Oh my god, that was crazy. You know, it's just like it's, it's legit a thing. <laughs> like yeah. so I fell down that rabbit hole. So this is and I I will be tuning in weekly for uh The Bachelor this this season. So nice. Uh, can't wait. Nice. <laughs> um number 9 for me was the Arrow season series finale. Uh the Arrow season 8 finale. And you know, I still like this finale and it's interesting, you know, because of my podcast and we're, you know, diving deep into everything that kind of makes up Arrow. My thoughts about what the series finale are have changed, but at the moment I still like it a whole lot. And I think, you know, especially considering what they, 
were trying to do and what season eight ended up becoming. I think that the finale was a good love letter to the fans and a good way to just, you know, like put a bow on the show that kind of started everything. Um, now on my podcast, when we get there, we will, we will <laughs> dive deeper on it, but I still really enjoy the, the, the finale and, and have lots of still good feelings about it. So, and I, I still enjoy it. So that's, that's my number nine. I haven't seen the finale yet. I'm about 10 episodes into season six right now, but certainly Arrow has been a big part of my year because I had seen zero episodes. Well, I had seen like two Mm. episodes prior to um, like July. So yeah, Yeah. it's like all Arrow all the time for me right now. So um, yeah, Uh, I I, I kind of feel like some of the other shows have surpassed Arrow in in a lot of ways. I mm-hmm. like I like how Arrow is certainly like it's got a unique tone. You know, like you could kind of look at like Supergirl and Flash and be like, well, they're sort of following the same formula. Like Arrow mm-hmm. kind of stands on its own. Um, and then the one which I just we just watched the first episode like two days ago uh, was Black Lightning, and oh, yeah. that show really looks like it stands on its own and it definitely does seems i mean i'm only one episode in but like i'm watching this and i'm like they're actually like doing something here which seems mm-hmm. to elevate things a little bit like they're not stuck in the you know like flash sort of like formula like here's exactly like they're like we're going to do our own thing And uh, it seems, I mean, I don't know. Like after one episode, I'm like, is this going to be my favorite Arrowverse show? I don't know. It could be. It it became mine. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I'm excited to see where it goes. I mean, my wife was like, why weren't we watching this before? And I'm like, we're we're going down the list, you know, but, you know, now now we're here. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah. My number eight was DC Fandom. Yeah. I watched the DC Fandom. That was so creative and it was so well needed, I think, Mm -hmm. especially since, you know, cons have, you know, have all been virtual and, you know, the like Galaxy Con has done a whole bunch of virtual stuff. Same thing with Wizard World, but nothing like what DC fandom was. It was completely like this complete immersive experience right and and especially the first day of dc fandom where like everybody was on it at the same time and everybody was talking about it and it was it and the the way that the interaction could go with everybody on the internet like that i think that was what really made it special was like like all the fans were kind of connected and it kind of legit felt like you were in attendance at an actual in-person con again and i that was definitely well needed in in this time of quarantine and isolation where like we could like actually like interact with another with one another in our fandom and i it was you know well well executed i wish they would have done it for both days of dc fandom they would have done the same thing yeah but uh the one day that we got was great yeah i i I watched it the the whole day and um you know i was really looking forward to it and i think like because there have been a few like virtual cons you know during the pandemic and i I think Mm. that this one probably did the best job of capturing that that feeling. I agree. Right down to you know there being some panels where you're sitting there watching them, thinking like, "Why? What are they doing? Why am I watching this? This is you mm-hmm. know terrible." Like when uh, the Wonder Woman crew decided to play like a random 
game. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> why are we watching this? You know. Uh-huh. But, um. But you know, with all the reveals and everything, I mean, certainly, like, I think what that's was, what made it worth it. Yeah, the first Justice League footage, right? And then, mm-hmm. of course, the big thing was the first trailer for the Batman. Yeah. You know, that was pretty awesome. You know, and and certainly, I mean. It it got me hyped in the way that uh, that conventions oftentimes do, and mm-hmm. it was it was that event, you know, which made us say like, because like, because they had like an Arrowverse panel or something like that, you know, yeah. and we were like, we've never seen this. Why haven't we seen this? Let's just do it. And usually, I mean. Certainly, we we've we've done things like that all the time, where it's like let's just watch them all, and then you watch like three episodes, and you're like, okay, I'm done. But mm-hmm. like that's why we we started that night as soon as the fandom ended, we started watching Arrow, and we haven't stopped. So yep, <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely did its job. Yep, for sure. Cool. Uh, number seven for me was uh, the Five Bloods because uh, I I just think it's great, and I think that. Spike Lee is criminally underrated, especially in in this day and age now where we lionize directors and filmmakers for all sorts of things. And we put them on these pedestals and give them all sorts of credit for a whole lot of things. I think that, you know, Spike is just as good as a lot of the people that like, you know, that, that, you know, we hold in such high esteem and, and say they can, can do no wrong with their, with their filmmaking choices. And, and, you know, oh, they made this masterpiece, this masterpiece. Well, Spike's right up there. He has a great catalog. He's incredibly creative and he's had to do a whole lot more with less than a lot of these other people do. And he, and most of the things that he puts out, like it's, it's just quality after quality after quality. And, you know, I think, you know, he he deserves his roses. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, all of his movies are are great. There's I, I've seen everything that he's done up through um, She Hate Me. And but there's a few after that, like Old Boy and stuff, which I've missed. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to go back and, and finish those. But um, yeah, I mean, you look at like everything. I mean, going back to, you know, Do the Right Thing, of course, yeah. Better Blues, you know, and everything like that. And Black Klansman, I, I personally think is his best movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish that would have won Best Picture. I do too. You know? um, but well, even things like you know, like he got game, right? Like yeah. that's 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 way ahead of its time as far as like the subject matter of what it's talking about, mm-hmm. right? And 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 you you got a good performance out of an out of an like an NBA Hall of Famer because most of those dudes can't do anything, yeah. and yet Ray Allen care, like does a real good job standing on his own with Denzel and Rosario Dawson, a lot of heavy hitters, mm-hmm. you know. So. I th- I just think that you know he he deserves the same acclaim that other people get. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely does, and you know the same respect. I mean, like you're saying, he hasn't had the same opportunities. I mean, like on *The Five Bloods*, there was the whole thing where you know he wanted to do the Irishman de-aging thing. Yeah, and Netflix was like, no, you know, mm-hmm. it's like wh- <laughs> okay, whatever, you know. Yeah, um, *The Five Bloods*. I I I, I did like it a lot this to me is like the prime example though of why i want movie theaters to come back because Mm -hmm. like i sat down to watch this was super excited couldn't wait and then you know the cat is meowing the phone is ringing (laughs) you know like there's all these distractions and i'm like constantly pausing it or whatever and then you know i get to the end and i'm like i'm not 
invested in this movie and it's mm-hmm. through no fault of the movie, but it's just like, yeah. you know, life so, experience. Yeah. Oh, right. Gotcha. Exactly. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I really want movie theaters to come back. Um, so I, but because of that, like I, I really just, I didn't get into this as much as I would have liked. And, um, while, while I thought it was really good, it didn't, it didn't have the impact on me that I thought it would. I need to go back and, and revisit again with fresh eyes or whatever, or undistracted eyes, because gotcha. I feel like I feel like it's my fault, not the movie's fault for not appreciating <laughs> it as much as I do. So fair. Yeah. Fair. Cool. Uh, let's see. My number six, uh, Beyonce's Black is King. Literally, whatever she does is like just turns the gold. Like <laughs> she's, yeah. she's she's incredible. And and that whole thing is so creative it's so well done so well shot so well choreographed so like everything about it is top notch because she doesn't do anything that isn't and this is just another example of it yeah i haven't i haven't seen it yet i need to but i haven't even seen what was the other one that she did lemonade lemonade yeah i haven't even seen that yet so Mm -hmm. i'm behind I'll, (laughs) I'll, i'll get caught up all right uh number five soul yeah yeah, Soul is one hundred percent great. It like Pixar once again knocking it out of out of the park. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what what it what it is about them over there, but they just seem to 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 move the right pieces and do the right thing to make everything fit and everything work and everything because everything seems to just hit just right all of the time for them. Yeah, they have their their think tank or whatever, which I think like a lot of other places have adopted, but it's always that thing where I'm like, why doesn't everybody do this? It just makes sense. But just the Uh idea of like, okay, you have a team working on this thing, but you also have like a bunch of A-list filmmakers at your disposal to bounce ideas off of. Like, why, why aren't you just like running these things by everyone who knows how to make movies so that if anything isn't working, you can address it, you know, instead yeah. of just saying like, oh, well, it didn't work. It's like, well, make it work, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that's that's their secret. That's my guess anyway. Hey, well, whatever they're doing, keep it up. <laughs> yes. Because I'm still, I'm I'm buying whatever whatever it is that they're selling. And it <laughs> seems like I will be doing that for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> Yeah. Are you looking forward to the, uh, to the Buzz Lightyear origin story thing? Light year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it looks like it could be cool. It's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my number four, uh, another recent uh, thing from, from this year. This is kind of coming in real, like, you know, right at the wire. Bridgerton. <laughs> yeah. So this show is amazing. I'm obsessed. Like, <laughs> it's it's so good. I had no idea it would be this good. Uh, it looked interesting. And I heard, like, there was some buzz about it. And I saw that Shonda Rhimes was was involved and, you know, you know, Shonda Rhimes of Scandal and and Grey's Anatomy fame. And and, and also the writer of uh, Crossroads starring Britney Spears. Oh, God, that's right. Wow. The movie's awesome. Anyway. <laughs> I forgot, man, that takes me back. Oh, that movie. Wow. But uh, but no, but like Bridgerton is fantastic. Like, seriously, like I'm obsessed. Like I might watch that thing again it's only eight episodes but it's 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 amazing i was blown away by how good it was like everything about it was was, i cannot recommend it enough (laughs) yeah i I haven't seen it yet but yesterday um 
we dropped off some presents at my aunt and uncle's place and you know we were just talking or whatever and they're like oh yeah we started watching Bridget and we got to finish that up today yeah it's it's definitely taken a hold of society of society you know yeah Yeah. like I'm hooked I'm not like normally one that's like all about you know period dramas and Mm -hmm. all this other stuff but this one this one got me okay I'll I'll check it out number three Mandalorian season two yes because talk about like knocking out out of the park. They, these guys, <laughs> like they know what they're doing. Like Star Wars is back, as as evidenced by the the you know Disney Investor Day and all the stuff that's coming out. And honestly, a lot of that I don't think would happen if it was not for the success of the Mandalorian these past two years. Right, like it's gotten people excited about it again, especially considering where things left off after the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't think there was excitement about Star Wars because a lot of the stuff that they have been doing was was over. Right, yeah. like you know, Rebels ended, and so did you know, the Clone Wars had its final season, and the Last Jedi. It all came, all kind of, you know, came to a head around the same time, basically. And then all of a sudden, we have you know, Disney Plus kicks off, and it's like, oh, there's this new Star Wars show, and it's like. Oh, this is really good. And then season two and everything that happened in season two has got people like like pumped <laughs> for more Star Wars stuff. And you know, it's 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 gotten me back into that place. It's like I'm ready for it. <laughs> they certainly uh cracked the code with this one. You know, the first season I think they were really smart to sort of make it its own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you really do not need to know anything about Star Wars in order to get into that. And then Correct. in season two while it still works if you just watch it by itself, you know, the fact that they brought in all of this mythology, you know, like real, like deep cut mythology, Mm -hmm. you know, not just from the movies, but from the animated shows and everything like that. I think that that was, yeah, books books that are no longer canon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a really cool way to go about it. I think it, it works really, really well. And certainly I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah. Uh, number two for me, The Last Dance. Yes. This is a project that was that should have come out like a couple of years ago, and then it was delayed, and then it was supposed to come out during the NBA Finals of 2020. And then the pandemic happens, and it's just like, and people were like legit clamoring. It's like, ESPN, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Release The Last Dance. Like, it's, it's done. Release The Last Dance. Like, we need this. And then... Like, I'll never forget, like, where I was. Like, I was just kind of just chilling on my couch. And then all of a sudden, I get, like, this alert, <laughs> like, for BSBN. The Last Dance will premiere in April of 2020. And the world rejoiced. Yep. And it was legit, like, a month. Because, like, and they were smart to not do it all at once. Uh, because, like, I don't think there's been a higher-rated thing that has captivated this entire country. Yeah. Like, everybody watched it. Everybody was engaged. All of the... You know, think pieces, podcasts, YouTube videos, like content on ESPN was literally driven for six weeks on this documentary alone about Michael Jordan. And right. and, and and also the fact that it was great and, and like and good, like just made it all all the more better. Uh, Michael Jordan's the goat. I'm going to say that here definitively. Uh, you're from Chicago, so you already you already know where you stand on that. But I'm oh, tell, yeah. this Texas boy is telling you Michael Jordan's the goat <laughs> and like. There's there's no way like no other athlete could have driven the needle like this. Like yeah. that is why he's the goat. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Like of of all the things of all the media that I consumed this year, the last dance I think is the the absolute best. 
Um, and certainly, you know, I'm, I'm biased because I, I do live in Chicago. I grew up, you know, with this team. I mean, this was, you know, and in Chicago in particular, I think, you know, like this thing was insane. Right. I I bet. I mean, like I I remember, you know, like every day, just like with more so than with bachelor, like every day, you know, Mm -hmm. after it aired, you'd go into work or whatever and be like, you see the last dance. Yeah. I I saw it. It was great. Right. Yeah. Oh man. There's a lot of like nostalgia there, but also, I mean, it is so good. I mean, like, yes. Okay. So I grew up watching that team, but like Lee Hutchison, you know, from the A24 project and and whatnot, Mm -hmm. he's in Scotland. He's like, I could not care less about basketball. I've never, you know, and yet I'm riveted, you know, by this thing, you know, and, and you're right about like all of the, you know, sort of like extra stuff. I mean, geez, Marvel or DC or Star Wars, they can learn something about expanded universe stuff from uh, ESPN here. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the episodes would would air, and then Sports Center would start up, and it would be a roundtable discussion about this. And then yeah. next morning, Good Morning America, you know, whatever. And yeah. then the coolest thing to me was the Game Six, the movie. Did you yeah, watch that? Of course. <laughs> Of course, it was just dude. Was, I watched. I watched every single show, every single every single debate show. Mm-hmm. At, like after each episode, I I listened to every podcast by all of the like the people who host all of those shows that uh-huh. talked about this show. Like I consumed every single bit of content related to the Last Dance. Yeah, that that entire month. It, it it was it was awesome, you know. And that game six, the movie thing was was great too. Where they basically since they had film cameras there. You know, mm-hmm. they they transferred them to HD and then made a an HD film version of the game. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's just the coolest thing in the world. Agreed. Yeah, it just it also helped that like Michael himself was so engaging in this because he's yeah. somebody who, as you, as you know, is so private about everything, and he's never really let anybody in. Like he barely does interviews anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we saw that poor that he had sitting right next to him. So, you know, he was telling the truth. We saw how bloodshot those eyes were. So yeah. that truth serum was flowing. So, like, the stuff that he was saying, he actually meant it. Yeah. Yeah. It was so cool. And, I mean, it's certainly, I mean, just like the DC fandom, you know, like, uh, inspired me to watch Arrow. Like I was telling you last week, like, I think it's because of The Last Dance. Or maybe it's just because of boredom in the pandemic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm like... I'm going to start following the bulls this year, you know, <laughs> and I have been, yep. I still am, you know, yep. they're, they're really bad, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know the players and everything. And uh, mm. it's, it's cool. Ah, so good. So yep. good. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the funny thing is like, that was my number two. And it's just like, so Jordan was like, well, what was, what was number one uh, that, that was better than the last dance? Well, there is one thing that was better. Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. Hamilton's the dopest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I used Hamilton when I was doing my master's for research um, for, you know, my like thesis project. Right. And, you know, my project was on like the connectivity between classical music and hip hop. Or, like where where's the through line and and all this other stuff was one influenced by the other and vice versa. Could you do something with that? And, you know, of course, my research took me to Hamilton. And at that point, I've only heard like a few songs from him. And I was like, well, that was pretty cool. I hadn't listened to the whole thing. And of course, and and at this point, because this is what, 20, this is 2016, 2017. So it had, you know, it was still hot and it was still like sold out everywhere. 
right? You couldn't go see it. And I was just like, well, is it really that good? So I finally sat down one day, you know, for my re like legit for my research purposes to listen from the musical start to finish. Mm -hmm. Didn't do anything. I just was going to take notes. And I took notes on the first song and then I stopped and it was just like, just in awe. And every track I was like, like, I was like, like it's outdoing itself. And Mm -hmm. it's in, and, and so at that point just became obsessed with that, with that musical. I've listened to it. I don't know how many times. And then Disney plus gave everybody a gift and we're just like, we're putting Hamilton on Disney plus uh, for, for July 4th. And I could not wait. And I, and I, I, and I was so hyped for it. And I, and then I got to finally watch the production mm-hmm. and the production is, it's like, like the rotating stage, the way that like, you can see the visual, like the visual storytelling that goes along with the music. It just enhances everything. It's seriously the most creative thing I've ever seen, I think. And it's it, like a testament to Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's, who's brilliant, like 100% br- brilliant that like he was able to pull this off in such a unique and creative way. And for the quality in both the production, the music, the staging, the, like the choreography, costuming, everything, the dancing, it's just, it's, it's all 100% good. And, and it, and it, 100% lives up to the hype and it it deserves all the awards that it got like I see it like you know like when I saw it that first time I was like I see it now and mm-hmm. when I listened to it the first time I was like oh I get it and then when I saw it I was like oh yeah this is definitely it like this is like probably the best musical production ever like I like I don't see something topping the level of creativity and artistry that was achieved with Hamilton I don't yeah yeah I was lucky enough to see it in Chicago ah! like, like a couple of years ago um, like after it had been out for like two or three years in Chicago, whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. I got tickets. They were like literally like in the back corner. Like <laughs> I could not have been further away if I tried, but yeah. um, it, it still was, was pretty great. And I had, you know, intentionally not listened to it beforehand mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I was definitely impressed. I haven't watched the the presentation on, on Disney plus yet, you know, which, of course, has the original cast and everything, which mm-hmm. I I didn't see, you know, but um, I I I need to get to it. I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. I think I think I'm I'm part of me is just like you look at the running time, you know, and you're like, okay, <laughs> this is a commitment, you know. So that's so, true. But I will get to it eventually. Cool. Yeah. All, All right. right. What about yours? Okay. Well, for me, what I did, what I do traditionally for uh, top 10 lists at the end of the year is just in order to wrap my head around things, I go by uh, movies which are eligible for Oscars. Okay. So it, 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 basically what that means is a movie needs to play in a theater in Los Angeles County for a week during the calendar year. Like that's mm-hmm. the criteria. Okay. But that's obviously... Not the case this year. Yeah, and and you know, rightfully so, the Academy has changed the rules. So it's like, if you were planning on releasing a movie in theaters in 2020, then it counts. And also, instead of ending December 31st, it'll end February 28th. And it's like, okay, so there's like three different things, ways that you could go about this then. You know, there's movies that came out in 2020. There's movies that are eligible for oscars this year which isn't going to end until february 28th but then there's also you know that those couple days or that week or whatever where you thought to yourself like what if they don't change the rules what if what if they keep the rules the way that they are traditionally Mm -hmm. what 
do the Oscars look like then? You know, what do the best movies of the year look like then? Because okay. you're really just talking about movies released between January 1st and March 9th or something like that. Yeah. That's not a lot of movies, right? Nope. So I'm like, okay, let's make this weird. You know, I'm going to end okay. up doing three top tens eventually. But right now, this is the only one which is ready. It's okay. top 10 movies of 2020 based on traditional Academy rules. All right. Okay. okay. So number 10 is VHS, which is a movie, uh, which is, it's on Hulu now, I think. Um, okay. The idea, the whole thing was shot on VHS. And the idea huh. is this kid in 1987 gets a VHS camera for Christmas. Right. Okay. And he starts like just shooting stuff. But then he also realizes that he can use it as like a VCR and like record off of TV. Okay. So so the whole thing is like you're watching this tape that has like little bits and pieces recorded onto it in, you know, seemingly random order or whatever. And okay. it actually tells a story by doing that. But it also allows for uh, a lot of, you know, kind of like just comedians you know people like thomas lennon and stuff like that to just do little like sketches basically riffing on what tv was in the 80s you know that sort of thing mm. you know with like infomercials and whatnot and it okay. is pretty pretty creative pretty good so i recommend that it's funny um number nine is saint francis uh which you know looking at you know critics lists or whatever this probably would be the the best picture if they were going by these rules um mm -hmm. but uh this movie it's a uh, it was shot locally it was shot in in chicago and it's about uh, a woman in her 30s who you know basically she doesn't have a steady job or anything like that she's kind of having like a i don't know early midlife crisis and okay. she gets a job nannying for um this little girl and you know, she's never had any experience with that sort of thing before. And, you know, they change each other's lives. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's pretty good. Um, okay. Number eight is a movie called Disappearance at Clifton Hill, which this is sort of the advantage of this, is like when I'm trying to put this thing together and I'm trying to, you know, like look at the movies that qualify or whatever, mm -hmm. you get some really deep cuts. Like I had never heard of this movie, but... It's this little noir thing, like a Canadian movie starring okay. Tuppence Middleton. Uh, Tuppence? Yeah, yeah. She's, oh, what a name. She plays uh, Mank's wife in Mank. Oh, okay. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, she's been in a few things here and there. And the idea behind it is like she, like she lives in like Niagara Falls. And when she was a little girl, she saw what looked like a boy getting kidnapped. And now she comes back to Niagara Falls and she is like reminded of this and she decides to start investigating and see like what happened to this kid, you know, mm -hmm. was he killed? Did he disappear? You know, and, and it goes into this, you know, deep conspiracy sort of thing. It's a pretty good noir. It's got David Cronenberg in it mm -hmm. as like a local podcaster he's crazy <laughs> as per usual yeah um if you're looking for like a good noir i would definitely recommend it and and that one's on hulu too cool okay number seven bit more mainstream the invisible man okay you know which was one of the few big movies to come out in yeah. theaters uh, last year it kind of basically like was right on the 
the the edge of when things uh, shut down. Like you were still kind of able to see it, like in the early days of the shutdown before everything yeah. shut down. Right, right. And then they once everything shut down, they were like, "Okay, fine. Here, we'll just release it on video." So yeah. a lot of people are able to see it that way. I, I thought that this was pretty good. Did you see this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I, I thought you know taking that classic story and finding a way to update it for modern day. Yeah, you know, with technology and whatnot, I, I thought it, I thought it worked really well, but also you know, kind of changing, kind of like what we were talking about with Black Christmas, you know, last week, like changing the story to, you know, t- tell, tell something new, you know, it, mm-hmm. not just going beat by beat with the original, but taking the concept of the original and doing something new with it. I thought, I thought it worked really well. I agree. And, you know, as Blumhouse and everything, and, and obviously they're doing more of these now too, like, like, looks like they're doing like a Wolfman movie with Ryan yeah. Gosling and stuff like that. So yeah, Blumhouse like continues to churn out good stuff. So like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm buying what they're selling. Yeah. Yeah. They're good for sure. All right. Uh, number six for me is the assistant, uh, another movie, which is on Hulu now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a smaller movie that came out towards the beginning of the year. Got a lot of like critical acclaim, but basically nobody went to see it. Okay. And it's, um, basically like a fictionalized version of, uh, let's say a, a Miramax setting or whatever with like a Harvey Weinstein type character. Yeah. Uh, who, okay. Yeah. And you never, you never see him, but it's all about his assistant and it really just kind of takes you through a day in the life. You know, you see like everything that she does from, you know, turning on the lights to making coffee to everything and just these little moments throughout the day, which she experiences which just kind of like dehumanizes her more and more until it eventually builds to um you know something which is kind of major um but even with that there's not really any like resolution or anything it's just a day in the life and it works really well um definitely recommend that one okay uh number five for me this is probably going to be the most controversial choice Spencer Confidential. Did you see hmm. Spencer Confidential? I did not. Okay. Um, it was a Netflix movie starring uh, Mark Wahlberg um, okay. where it, it's, it's a remake of Spencer for Hire, you know? Okay. But it's by Peter Berg, the guy who did... The Friday Night Lights? Yes, okay. yes. Now, <laughs> I, I, I like... Peter Berg, I, I, I liked the TV show Friday Night Lights. I like The Kingdom, you know, like mm-hmm. things like that. I think sometimes when he tries to get a little um, political, it ends up being rather comical. Okay. But when he's just making like a crazy, insane action movie, I'm, I'm 100% on board, you okay. know? It plays like a Michael Bay movie, which I know is a lot of people be like, oh, that's not good. I I, I love Michael Bay. You know, to me, they're like cut from the same cloth. This movie got terrible, terrible reviews. People were talking about how badly written it was and everything. And like, Mm -hmm. I get the I get the criticism. But I also think that like in terms of the action and stuff, it's really well done. I thought it was funny. I think that this is I mean, it's. It's schlocky, but there's a place for it. If you're looking for, you know, just like a crazy action movie, 
check out Spencer Confidential. Wait, well, it was Winston Duke, right? In this, that was yes. Hawk. Yeah, he play, he plays Hawk. Yeah, and he's he's awesome. Does this mean he's going to end up being Cisco in the reboot of DS Nine? I'd be totally okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be I'd love awesome. to see Winston Duke in, in Star Trek. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, he, he's really good in this. Um, they, they do. It's not like a one to one like remake of of Spencer for Hire or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, they they do a good job with it for sure. Okay, for sure, yeah. Okay, number four for me is Bad Boys for Life. I'm a huge fan of, you know, the first two, obviously, mm-hmm. Michael Bay, you know, whatever. But, like, this one, I think what they did here was they didn't just try to do another one, you know, with these characters when they're older and, you know, yeah. kind of, like, do everything at, like, half speed or whatever. They really found a way to integrate their their aging into the the story right uh-huh. make it about that you know yeah. make it about the fact that you know as they say in the movie like maybe they shouldn't be bad boys maybe they should be good men you know mm-hmm. and I, I think that it was really really well done i mean the action and everything is really good but that's kind of not the point of this yeah and um just the idea of like sort of a self reflective bad boys movie mm-hmm. never thought i'd see it in a million years but i i kind of love it now that i have yeah no it's it's funny like you mentioned that it's self-reflective i think that's the best way to go to 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 think about it because i you know after I, I finally saw it and like i you know i love that franchise and like like i love the two of them i love will smith and, and martin lawrence and you know there's you could really kind of trace an evolution of their characters from the first to to this one Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you really think about it. And so, you know, kudos to them for making that work. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, they're, they're talking about, of course, making a, another one because it is the highest grossing film of the year. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, obviously I'm going to see it, you know, yeah. on opening day and everything like that. But part of me is like, maybe, I mean, this was like a perfect conclusion. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe don't do that. But yeah. whatever, they are. So. <laughs> Um, okay, number three for me is The Way Back. Oh, yeah, the Affleck coaching movie. Yeah, certainly super cliche and everything like that. Mm-hmm. N- nothing that we haven't seen before, but I still thought that it was really well done. I-, I bought into the story. I was definitely emotionally invested in it and everything. And and in the end, I, I, th- I thought it worked pretty well. Did you see it? Not yet. It's in my It's on my DVR, though. So ah, Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. I mean, okay. it's it's nothing that you haven't seen a million times before, but it still works. Yeah. No, that was definitely on my list of things to like go see like in the theaters. Like, yeah. like I was like, oh, cool. I, like Ben Affleck basketball. Like I'm going to see that. Yeah. And it, and then it just didn't happen. <laughs> so, yeah. But then when I finally saw it, like it was able, it was like on, on HBO or something. I was like, oh, I will DVR that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. All right. Uh, number two for me is Miss Americana, which is a, uh, documentary on netflix about taylor swift Mm -hmm. uh it basically just kind of takes you through her i don't know her her life like how she how she manages being a celebrity but also like how that influences her art and everything like that yeah it's really good um sort of behind the scenes look at you know not just music but also like celebrity you yeah. know, the idea that like, you know, I mean, a few, what was, I guess at this point it was a few years back where she sent out like a tweet uh, endorsing 
uh, I think a, a senator f- mm-hmm. in in Tennessee, I think, you know, and, yeah. and there was like all sorts of like, what, what? Because this was the first time she had said anything political and mm-hmm. it, it caused a lot of whatever. And there's like this whole sequence in there where like you see her debating this with her family and her um, management and everything like that, whether or not yeah. she should send out this one random tweet. And it's like, geez, you know, like the thought that went into something so simple that like we do just on a, you know, hourly basis without thinking about, it's crazy, you know, the amount of influence that she has and everything. It's, it's a fascinating documentary. I I definitely recommend it. Okay. And my number one movie of the year, according to traditional Academy rules is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. This is okay. the best of the DCEU movies. It has so much energy, so uh-huh. much, uh, I don't know, heart, you know? It's it's funny. It, it, just, it just nails the tone perfectly. You know, I love these characters. I, I wish all of the other DC movies were, were like this, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Interesting list. Interesting list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not much to choose from, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, speaking of DC movies, mm-hmm. that's like the one news story that we have this week that's of, of you know, substance. Uh, the New York Times did an interview with Walter Hamada, who is the executive in charge of DC movies these days. And in the article, he kind of lays out like a lot of their plans, like they're sort of like big picture plans. You know, he doesn't say like, you know, um, oh, Booster Gold coming in in 2023 or anything like that. But he does say, you know, kind of like what we can expect uh, on a a larger scale. Uh They're planning for up to four theatrical movies a year starting in 2022. Yeah. That seems like a lot. It is. I mean, that's more than we're getting with Marvel movies right that's now. That's correct. And they can't seem to, like... I mean, how long have we been waiting for this Flash movie? That's... <laughs> Which is one of the uh, 2022 movies, of course, right? Oh, man. You know, there's so much to unpack with this, with all this. And DC, like, I love comics. I, I, and I love both companies. I'm not one of those that is, you know, 100% loyal to only one company and I treat the other like a capulet, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not I'm I'm not like one of them. But if I had to like, you know, go into the Hall of Fame and which cap would I wear, right? Type of situation with these, it <laughs> yeah. would be a DC cap because my favorite more of my favorite characters are there, in particular my favorite character Batman. Yeah. And so with that being said, DC is just a step too always seemingly in this in this in this realm a step too slow and they don't hit any of the right buttons consistently yeah. they, it's just like they don't know what they're doing how they want to do it and how they want to accomplish it who they want to do it and how they want their anything to go and i've said for years what dc needs is they need their own version of marvel studios yeah because as of right now, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and you end up with situations like what we're gonna get with what their what their current plan is. Like you know, like it took them 30 years to realize, oh, we can use the multiverse idea that we started and established 30 years ago 
on film. Yeah. It, it, but now it's just going to be kind of weird. And then now line, like, you know, lines are going to be drawn in the fandom with which version of Batman they like, whether it be Pattinson or whoever it is they're going to pe- play Batman, because apparently there's going to be two series of Batman movies going on at the same time. Like, it's, it's not a good idea, y'all. Like, and not because, and, and this is coming from a Batman fan. Like, it's, it's not a good idea. Um, You already have, you know, two Batman and, and God knows how many else are going to be in this Flash movie that apparently is going to come out at some point. And, you know, some of the, the quotes in this piece, you know, like they're, HBO Max is, is going to get involved as well, and they're going to have uh, riskier titles go to that one because mm-hmm. they don't want to risk box office, you know, hits. And I like how they say riskier titles like Static Shock and Batgirl. So what's yeah. risky about those two characters? Because one's black and one's a woman. Is that what is that the message you're trying to send, DC? Because if, if that is, that's the bad message. And this is why they get crapped on so much. Yep. Like, I don't understand. Like, again, like you, you look at Marvel, like Marvel wouldn't say, oh, let's go have riskier titles like ant-man go straight to disney plus no they just released ant-man they didn't have to set him up or anything they just released it and what happened a billion dollars like i don't like come on like if they just made a product that was good dc has seemingly they just they don't know what to do and it's like they're incapable of making a good product i i just don't get it yeah it's really strange i mean i feel like they saw what marvel was doing and they were like let's do that and then they were setting setting everything up and they just failed they dropped the ball you know well well see here's the thing i don't think well they did drop the ball but i don't think that they initially i think their plan was let's not try and copy marvel with this let's try and do it our own way and which you know what fine do it your own way but at least have some have have a way to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to do with and they didn't they just kind of did everything and they're, they're always so reactionary and then so when they see Marvel's success then they try to they you could see with the tone of their movies in particular like you know the most recent thing that we can we can look to is the you know the DCEU and it started off going one way and then halfway through it changed it course corrected and tried to change its direction and like they started seeing better reviews because they kind of used a more marvel method and marvel tone in their films Mm -hmm. right because if you look at you know wonder woman aquaman shazam birds of prey they are completely different in tone from the you know from man of steel bvs justice league it's completely different and suicide squad it's a completely different thing yeah and and so you see that and they started to try to do a much more Marvel type of thing. And, you know, it's not to say that like, you know, Marvel hasn't copied DC because they have, because each company for years since, since they've been a thing have copied each other. I mean, look at the roster and the lineups that are present of the, like the character lineups that are present for each company. Each one has stolen from the other in some case, in some form or fashion, right? There's a, there's a death stroke and a Deadpool. They each has, have archers. Like it's like, it's all like you could find a comp in each, in each universe. So, you know, they're each guilty of it. But in this case, it's like, you know, people have said for years, Marvel has has the film thing on lock because whatever they've whatever they've done, they've seemed to find the right the the thing that hits right with everybody. And they have people working on them that are actually fans of the characters, know the characters and know how know what makes them work and know what audience would like to audiences would like to see from those characters. DC doesn't really. And there's a niche and like there's a segment of the fandom that likes, you know, one thing and will just kind of take that one thing and 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 say that it's going to automatically be great just because it's DC and it's not the case. Um I don't understand 
how they can sustain their current method of doing things, but the things that Walter Hamada's laid out, I'm not, that doesn't look promising to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I think like while I do love Marvel's interconnectivity and I do mm-hmm. think that, you know, I like, I don't think that they've made, made a bad movie yet, you know, mm-hmm. and some of their movies are legit. Great. I think that, um, DC's approach, which maybe has changed now, you know, because of their failures, is, you know, to basically say, I mean, do what Warner Brothers has been known for doing, you know, which is put filmmakers first and say, like, okay, Chris Nolan, you got a great idea for Batman. Let's do that. And and we'll figure out if it fits or whatever. I, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, the fact that they're kind of like, you know, well, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't matter. You know, whatever. I, I that that's kind of. I don't know. I wouldn't do that myself. But I, I do think that there is something to saying like Zack Snyder has a style and a tone, mm-hmm. and whoever you know, uh, Patty Jenkins has a style and a tone, and they can be vastly different, and we can still put them in the same continuity. You know, I, I think that there's something cool about that. Well, see, there there is and there isn't because again, like you, you mentioned, like you know, putting you know, filmmake putting filmmakers first. Look at like you know the Russos compared to Favreau in the MCU. Like those are complete. Those are those. Each of them have a style and they each have a tone. Yet their stuff fits together better than Jenkins and Snyder do. Their yeah, universes do. But I think that that's just kind of like an evolution of the tone. You know, I, I mean, I think like they brought in Favreau. Favreau did his thing. And then as the universe expanded, Marvel started, you know, tightening their grip or whatever. And well, yeah, of course they did, because that's that's their that's their prerogative as the people that are that oversee this. But at the same time, it's not like the the notion that, you know, the people like that were doing the filmmaking didn't have put their imprint on it. I think that 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 accusation is false. I I think that. I think that there's plenty of the, you know, actual directors like, you know, stamp present. And it's not just like a, you know, a assembly line thing that a lot of people seem seem to think that it is. I, I think it depends on, on the scenario and everything. And, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, directors will put their stamp on it as much as they can. But at the same time, I feel like there's I mean, there was just a, an interview with some director who w- was offered black widow i think mm-hmm. and she turned it down because marvel said don't worry about the action we'll do that ourselves mm-hmm. and she was like well i don't want to make a black widow movie if i can't direct the action in the black widow movie you know mm-hmm. and and they've i think i don't know if they've said or someone said but like the reason why they keep on sort of like mining talent from like the indie film world is because they don't have a lot of influence and, and they can sort of, you know, like push them around a bit more, you know? Hmm. So, I, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, something like Guardians of the Galaxy isn't, you know, totally James Gunn or anything like mm-hmm. that. But I do think that whatever it is is sort of like that filmmaker put through the the Marvel, you know, wash cycle or something like that, you know, and then mm-hmm. this is what comes out. And again, I think that the end product is great. And, you know, the filmmakers, generally speaking, seem to be, you know, happy with the results as well. It's a, it's a, yeah. something that works, but 
I do think that there is something to the DC approach of saying like, okay, you know, Matt Reeves, do whatever you want to do with Batman, you know? Mm-hmm. And there, there's something to that, but like, at the, but at the end of the day though, what, what, like what ends up happening, you, you give, you give the reins over to somebody 100%. And then with DC in DC's case, there've been more failures than, than, <laughs> than wins. Yeah. Right. And so what are we left with is like you, you gave over all this control to somebody and the, the stuff doesn't go well. Like, or what are we like, a, what's the, what's the course of action after that? Like if they're, if their movie fails and they don't make the studio money, do we just, you know, get on Twitter and get a hashtag trending to get them to, <laughs> to do something else? Like what, what's next? I don't know. I guess and so. DC but hasn't it, figured that out yet. Yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Would you rather have end game, which you know is going to be good and you walk out of it and you're like, that was a good movie. And then you know that that's going to happen no matter what. Or would you rather have a scenario where like you can walk into a theater and see Aquaman and be like, boy, that movie was really bad. And then you you, you walk out of the theater like, you know, a year later or whatever, a year earlier, whatever, see Dark Knight and be like, that's one of the best movies ever made. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm kind of like I'm as a, as a viewer, I'm willing to sacrifice consistency if it means we're going to get the occasional masterpiece. You know, hmm. that's fair. I value consistency, and I think there's 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 too much. Um, I guess for a baseball analogy, if I were a player, I would rather I would rather hit 300 than. 210 and have 50 home runs right like yeah. and i think that's and i think that's it's the approach the the at plate approach that that is different with the, with the two companies at the moment i'd rather hit 300 <laughs> um and i think that's and i think i appreciate that more i see what you're saying um i i, I don't necessarily think the analogy works because for one thing i don't think that you're hitting 300 i think you're hitting like 275 Oh, I'll Which hit 300. Certainly respect. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, in that, in that case, <laughs> well, I don't think that Marvel is hitting 300. I think they're hitting like 280 at this point. Well, you know, better than DC's 210. Maybe, but they've also had a few grand slams with Dark Knight Rises and, you know, whatever. Dark okay. All of the Dark Knight movies, you know, mm-hmm. Birds of Prey, you know. I would put Birds of Prey as a grand slam. I think that's a, just a, I think that's a solo home run. Whatever, but it was in the ninth <laughs> inning and it was a walk off still. So, um, I, you know, I, it's a different approach, and you know, mm-hmm. but I, I do think like the whole reason for this whole multiverse thing is they did paint themselves into a corner because it did. They don't have a Batman anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the issue, right? Like you, you, you're putting all your eggs in the Ben Affleck basket. And then when he walks away or the movies that he's in suck, then now you need to figure out what you're doing with, you know, your crown jewel. Well, yeah, well, that's the that's the other part of the problem. They don't have any confidence clearly in any of their other characters. They say that they have confidence in Superman, but that that their actions speak to the contrary. And this is not just for film, but this is also this problem also is is found in TV and in comic books. Like, you know, there's so many Batman titles. Right. And there's, you know, and every other character, you know, like the big hitters might have like Superman might have two at this point. Just action in Superman. And Batman has several. (laughs) Like, I can't like I think he has at least five. Um, And then everybody else just has one. And on film, they have 
have no trust in any other character except for him, which is why Batman is going to be in the Flash movie, which I think is stupid. Like, if you're going to make a Flash movie, this Flash movie that you've been, you know, determined to get off the ground at this point for 10 years, it seems, um, then go all in on the Flash. People know who the Flash is. He has a successful TV show, right? Yeah. So, like, it's not like, and it's, there's not a whole lot of explanation that needs to really go into into building him up. We know who the Flash is. Just do your Flash movie. But there's like, no, we're going to have Michael Keaton and, and Ben Affleck show up. It's just like, well, you that means that you're not making a Flash movie then. I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, if you say to me, like, well, we're going to have a movie and it's a Flash movie, whatever movie it is, but Michael Keaton is going to be in it as Batman and also Ben Affleck is going to be in it as Batman. I'm going to be like, you can call this movie whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> I will be there on opening day, you know? <laughs> now, granted, again, I'm going to be there also, but I'm not confident in the product because they've shown me that, like, I, like, there's no reason for me to be confident in anything that they do at this point. I'm, like, as a fan of Batman, I'm going to see it because, again, as I've said, they have my money, but, like, they can't be mad at me when I call them out on their lack, their, pro- their products being, you know, lacking. I don't know. I think... As much as I don't like Joker, mm-hmm. I think Joker set them in a certain direction, which has bolstered my confidence in them, you know, because mm-hmm. now they're saying like, okay, I don't trust DC to make a good movie, but I trust mm-hmm. Matt Reeves to make a good movie, mm-hmm. you know? So, I see what you're saying. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not convinced that Flash will be good necessarily yeah. because I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not super duper into the, the director. Um, but again, it's a that's a concept where I'm like, yes, yes, sign me up right now. But I don't know. Um, now they did see, and and I'm wondering. I mean, it's vague because it's you know written by a journalist who may have had something else in mind. But they say they're introducing the multiverse two film sagas with Batman played by two actors. Now, you read that and you're like, oh, so like two Batman franchises, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what they mean. I think what they mean is we've got our Robert Pattinson Batman, but then we're also going to have the DCEU where Affleck is going to be in Flash, for example. You know, but no doubt, but there's no doubt they want to have Affleck come back to be Batman and something. And, and, and at the end of the day, they still want to have, you know, they're going to, they, cause they've, you know, contractually, they're obligated to give patents in his stuff. Right. Cause, cause he's under contract, but they also want something else just in case. Right. And I think, and you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's weird, but like that other thing, in my opinion, like what will get me excited if we have patents and Batman over here and the other Batman franchise that they're talking about Better be Batman Beyond. Like, like mm-hmm. that. That will get me excited, mm-hmm. right? That will get me like legit excited because that's that's something they should do. Now, I'll, you know, there are people out there who's like, oh, well, they're going to introduce you know him through the Flash movie because like you know Michael Keaton's going to be old and it's perfect, perfect, perfect segue. He doesn't need a segue. Like, he just just do it yeah. <laughs> instead of wasting our time in something that's likely going to fail and then they probably lose confidence in it and don't do it. Like, our best chance of getting it is to just do it. Yeah, and Batman Beyond is something where you could definitely do it, and there wouldn't even necessarily be any weird conflict in there's, terms. There's of, no, no, it's no conflict. It's not the same and, character or anything. And 
Yeah. And in this case, this is where you could really, you know, tell a filmmaker, hey, go crazy. Look at this source material. Mm -hmm. Go crazy with it. And I think that is where you do that stuff with. And I think that's the that's the way to go. Yeah. So now the uh, the other thing, you know, which we touched on was the idea that HBO Max is going to have up to two movies a year trying to do two movies a year for, quote unquote, riskier titles. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, I mean, the fact that, you know, they put Static Shock and, and Batgirl in there is just insane. Yeah. yeah, let's test the waters on the HBO Max, the streaming stuff with the black person and the woman. It doesn't. Because apparently, they, because apparently they, those those t- those demographics don't belong on the, the screen. Come right. on, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like this is from the studio that made Wonder Woman, right? Yes. You know, and then we also saw Black Panther make like. How many billions of dollars? You know, one of the most like successful movies ever, and and, and yeah. not only the fact that like was it like successful, it's also great. Yeah. So I mean that's that's ridiculous, and you know not to that's mention, another but, and that's another example of filmmaker being let, allowed to be a filmmaker right there. Yeah, and isn't like Michael B. Jordan on as a producer and stuff in that movie? Absolutely. So whatever. And Googlers are not coming up and coming star. So that's that's crazy, but. You know, the the idea that, you know, they're like, we want to do two movies on HBO Max. I think that kind of speaks to, you know, how everything is trending now with, you know, what we're seeing, like more mm-hmm. streaming stuff and everything like that. And, you know, he talks about it here. He just flat out says it, but we've already seen it in action twice. The idea that, um, you know, they are looking for tie-ins to uh, their movies through HBO Max series. And they've actually done it three times now. And all three times it's been like, what? Oh, my God, that's crazy. But now here he says, like, well, this is what we're trying to do. Like, this is the end game. And it's like, oh, okay, then it's not that crazy. But the first one was actually Dune, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and then and then you've got the Gotham, the GCPD show. That they're well, tying into not going to be GCPD, but that's a whole nother conversation, right? Right, but they're they're tying that into the Batman, and then you've got the uh, Peacemaker move, uh, show, which is yeah. tying into the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a great idea. Like, I'm especially since you have yeah, like the I, I wonder where they got Bob. that idea from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it. it it works. It's exciting. It's yeah. it's exciting to be like, yes, you know, I mean, it kind of takes you back to like the 90s or wherever where you had like, you know, the, the big blockbuster movie and then you're going to get the comic book, you know, Tie prequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Mission Impossible comic or whatever, or the Independence Day comic. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm definitely on board with that conceptually, you know. Okay. And I, and I think it's a way to, you know, put something out in theaters and be like, yes, this is like the big event, but then you can still go home and watch, you know, have that story expanded on on HBO Max or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. I got you. But uh, yeah, I, the only other thing here, which just made me laugh was uh when they were talking about justice league the director's <laughs> cut and they're like so is this going to tie into all your plans and they're like no it's a storytelling cul-de-sac that leads to nowhere <laughs> so really they were just like everybody is saying release the snyder cut yeah. here's a bunch of money Zack snyder release your cut do whatever you want we'll be over here doing everything else yes that's fine whatever yeah. Well, I think I think that's their 
I think that's what they wanted to do all along. Like at the very least is like, you know what? Fine. Like, you know, we hear you release the Snyder cut people. Here's your Snyder cut. Now leave us alone. And I think that's, I think that's what that, that quote is saying. Um, Now, you know, Snyder's fans are, of course, we're heated about that, and that started a whole new hashtag of the Snyder Cut is canon, and oh, all I didn't this other. See that? I oh yeah, that. it's 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 ridiculous. So, but I think that's what the plan is, and you know, it, this is just their way of cutting ties and being like, all right, as soon as that's over, we're done with it, and we're moving on because yeah. we need to move on because they don't because you know. Unfortunately for them, and you know, it's no fault of their own. I mean, it is their fault. Uh, they, they, all they had was that as far as like, you know, their, as far as what they had in the DC pool on, on film is concerned, all they had was that. But now that they have a plan, you know, 10 years later of, of what to do with the DC characters and, 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 and that roster, now they're just like, all right, cool, that's done. Now we're going to execute our plan. And I think that's what that's meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Still looking forward to the to the director's cut of Justice League myself, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens with that. We shall. Yeah, it's this year, so yeah, it's just a couple months away. So thank God for that. <laughs> All right. So two other uh, little stories this week. Um, first up, we're just talking about Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. and uh, he is going to be directing Creed 3. Now, I mean, this is something which, you know, someone had said this uh, a few months back, and it's like, oh, really? That's happening? But then someone asked Tessa Thompson about it, and she's like, yeah, yeah, it's happening. Mm -hmm. There's some nice poetry to this. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Thanks, George. (laughs) Sylvester Stallone directed the Rocky sequels, and now Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's cool. I I, I take it you're a fan of, of Creed. Oh, I'm I'm a I I think the Rocky movies are probably like my favorite fan, like film franchise, oh, yeah. to be quite okay. honest. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm all aboard with it. I, I'm always jonesing for new Rocky stuff, and so I you know this is this is fine with me. Yeah. I think I think he'll do a good job. Like I mean, Stallone did a great job with a lot of them, right? Even yeah. if the movies were not like you know some of the sequels he did were not like cinematic masterpieces, but Rocky two is still great. Rocky three is still great. So is Rocky four and Stallone directed all, all three of those. And Rocky Balboa is the, yeah, which is also great. The best. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I like the Rocky movies, you know, but Creed, I think took it to another level. I, I don't yeah. know, maybe part of it. And, and again, that's just like one of those things where it's like, it it's an idea which makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you do it? But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like such a great idea that when yes. they do it, you're like, they're actually doing this. Like they're uh-huh. actually, you know, that's that's what I felt like the entire time, like of watching Creed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. this is, I was like, this is amazing. This is the perfect way to continue this. Like, yeah. I I can't I I can't believe it. And then what really like made me feel like the 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 connection between the the two you know, versions of like the two halves of this franchise, like, you know, they're like kind of, you know, extending the, 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 the bridge from one to the next was the trailer for Creed two. And it's Adonis Creed versus Drago. And mm-hmm. like, it's the, those two staring at each other in the ring. And then like their trainers are Rocky and and Ivan Drago and they're staring yeah. at each other. I was like the history, everything like, this is what I want. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is so much, this is so good. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I haven't seen Creed two since the theater. When I watched it, I was like, this is amazing. You know, yeah. 
thinking back on it, doesn't do nearly as as much as as the first Creed does. It you doesn't. Know? But no. But it's still, as far as like Rocky movies are concerned, even though it follows like all of the the beats, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like beat for beat, it still does it like really well. You know, yeah. I would definitely put that up there. You know, towards the top of the the franchise. So. You know, I'm certainly looking forward to Creed three. I love the idea of of Michael B. Jordan directing it because it too. just does seem to like take that whole history of the franchise like just a step further. You know, mm-hmm. even if it is behind the scenes. So that, that's that's just something to look forward to for sure. Yep, I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. So just one more little thing uh, this week. Uh, the Happy Sad Confused podcast uh, did an interview with. Uh, Steven Soderbergh and you know they asked him of course they were talking to him about contagion because anytime you talk to Steven Soderbergh now you have to ask him about contagion Mm -hmm. and they were like okay this movie is making a bunch of money again you know in the top 10 on uh, iTunes charts for however long it is has the studio asked you about you know making a sequel and he's like well you know I've been talking to the writer Scott Z. Burns about doing uh you know what we're going to do next what's the next step so we're working on a philosophical sequel he says Hmm. now i mean a lot of people are picking this up on and saying like well soderbergh's making a sequel to contagion and it's like you're not going to see matt damon running around going like there's another contagion you you know like because that would be super cheap (laughs) especially considering what we just went through right right like it's you know what it, what comes next i think yeah. and like i think just to put this into perspective like he released full frontal uh back in the early 2000s and you know on the posters it says like a spiritual sequel to sex lies and videotape okay. and you watch the movie and if you were to watch like both of those movies i don't know have you seen those too, I've know? seen Sex Lies and Videotape. Not Full Frontal. Yeah, it's no. I, I like it. Everybody else hates it. I think it's good. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Check it out. Um, <laughs> but uh, you watch it and you're like, this has literally nothing to do with Sex Lies and Videotape. Got but it. what it is is Soderbergh saying like, if I were starting out now in 2004 or whatever, 2003, or instead of back in 1987. Mm-hmm what would my movie look like, you know, if I can shoot it on mini DV with a, you know, little Canon camera and everything like that, you know, and, and, and that was like the philosophy that he took behind the scenes when he was making the movie. So he was basically saying like, let me approach this the same way I would have approached it if I was a first time director making my first movie now. And when you look at it through that lens, you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. But there's literally nothing that those movies share in common aside from that idea, that philosophical idea that he had while making the movie. Mm -hmm. So I really do think that this is going to be what, quote unquote, Contagion 2 will be. I think it'll be awesome. And I think that if you look at them together with that mindset, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I can see how this is what comes next. But it's not going to be, uh, you know, in the same continuity or anything like that. It, it really is going to be, I think, a philosophical sequel, you know. Okay. So, but it's going to be directed by Steven Soderbergh, so that means it's probably going to be awesome. So, I can't <laughs> wait. Yeah. 
Indeed. All right. Well, that's pretty much it for yeah. for today. Um, we said we still found some stuff to talk about, even though uh, not much news going on. Yeah. So, uh, Lance, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at Sir Lance Laster on all of my social medias, and you can find me on the United Federation of Podcasts talking about all the things that make Arrow Arrow on my show, Always Hold On to Arrow. You can find us on Twitter at Do Not Fail Our Pod. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on my website, FilmDamagePod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, where we talk about Star Trek, time travel, and film projection. Our New Year's resolution is to come up with a catchphrase for the yes. end of the show. <laughs> uh, a sign-off, some, some sort of thing. Yeah. But until then, I guess Happy New Year, and uh, we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.